Welcome, Investigator. Evil is on the rise. Crime is escalating. Our mission is to eliminate the crime by exposing evil, examine why it manifests, and highlight the brave souls that confront it every day. Join us as we work together to bring justice to every victim. Welcome to All Things Crime. Here's your host, Jared Bradley. Let me ask you this, Scott. So you had told me earlier that you in you were the homicide detective for a triple homicide. Yes. Well, one of them, yeah. But that was a shooting. So what's the worst what's well, the worst stabbing you I had a case investigated where an individual was stabbed seventy one times with no defense wound. He was stabbed all in the back while sleeping in bed. And that ended up being a rage killing by two individuals motivated by homosexuality. In the sense the individuals that was he was a gay male, they both the perpetrators both stated they were not gay. Yet they believed that to put this in terms, if you were pitching, you weren't gay only if you were catching. Okay? Mm. That's how they justified yeah. it in their mind. Okay. I go with it. But the rage was such as almost as if they were trying to kill the homosexuality within themselves by transferring it to another. That was the worst stabbing I ever had. And again, the only reason that they weren't cut was because they had put socks over their hands. That's why we found no prints or anything. We didn't learn this till you know, after we had them, and they told us certain things about the crime. But in this instance, stabbing the four people, going from place to place to do it, at least two rooms to do it in, you might think that the individual, what happens is from all the blood, the handle of the knife gets slippery and the hand can go down. And they can, a lot of times the perpetrators cut themselves. So there could be a transference of blood. But there's such an amount of victim blood, I don't know if they'll be able to discern perpetrator blood from it. You know? I mean, it depends upon if the perpetrator bled and how much he or she bled. You know what I'm saying? If it was a few drops, it's not going to be found unless they touch yeah. something on the way out. And again, look, this is all the forensics that, that's going to be done. That's why I say it's going to be a forensic case. This is just my opinion. I think the perpetrator was known to at least one of the victims in some way, shape, or form. I believe it was a sole perpetrator. I believe it was a man. And again, I don't think it's a serial killer because the person, I think at this point in time, a month, over a month, they might have struck again, being that they got away with it. You know, I think this is another sign that I think it's a personal crime. But again, this person had to be covered in blood when they left the scene. I, th- I think the the personal crime, so they knew the victim, but the yeah. rage that you were talking about. I don't think very many people understand the amount of effort that it takes to actually that, kill that's somebody. That's why I'm saying stabbing with, is up close and personal. With a knife, now, yeah. You were in the military. You were trained to use a knife in hand-to-hand combat, but you were also trained kill shots. You know, where to stab, and that's it. You don't stand there and repeatedly keep stabbing. That's a frenzy. And frenzies can be triggered by many reasons. Again, if this individual was just a psychopath that went out there, saw an easy target, and went after it, I think this wouldn't have been their first one, and there'd definitely be another one, because they got away with this so mm. well. You know, it's been over a month. they probably transient. If they were, you know, serial killer, they're transient. They moved on to the next town or the next state. It's close to Washington. They would have crossed over to probably to Canada by now, you know? But that's another reason why the FBI is involved, because you don't know if this person crossed state lines. I know the Moscow police are definitely ill-equipped for this. Even the state police investigators 
are not equipped to handle yeah. this type of crime. Now, they have the crime lab to process these things, the Idaho crime lab, but homicide investigators to come in to assist, to lend their expertise, because it's something we see all the time. Now, from what I garnered lately, they're looking for this white Elantra. They're supposedly, the latest thing that came out in the media was there's over 10,000 tips just related to this car alone. Now, having worked cases where we had tips lines open, every tip is logged in, every tip has to be followed up on, and you have to weed it out. You have to say, no, this is no good. This is a, You can't leave any stone unturned because that could be the tip. You know what I mean? That could be the one tip yeah. that puts you to the next level. So it's an unbelievable amount of tips. The manpower that would be required to handle those is immense. You know, it's a, a huge undertaking. Now, again, everyone is worried about the time frame in this case. This is not unlike, I mean, murder cases, contrary to popular belief, are not solved in 45 minutes with commercials. Sometimes <laughs> these things go on. Because remember, we're looking at the end result. We're looking at going to court and having a conviction. We're not just looking at making an arrest. We're looking at the end game. So you can't just go out and arrest someone and then they walk out of court. No. You need to be able to build a case against someone to make sure you could put together a good trial. You don't want these people to get away with it. So it takes long. Sometimes it could take months. It could take a year to make a case. They might very well have a person of interest, which I don't like that term. I don't know. Where, that, that's a media term that's come up in the last number of years. Person of interest. They were suspects. I mean, I don't know why they're afraid to use that yeah. term, but it was suspects. And yes, you might have a long litany of suspects. And you slowly, you weed out who's not on your list anymore. One of the ways is if that suspect keeps, let's say there's tips, and let's say there's, for argument's sake, 100 tips. And out of 100 tips, each tip is naming a different individual as a possible suspect. But Johnny Jones is mentioned 10 or 12 times out of that 100. Maybe you want to go in that direction, okay? Again, these are all punches, tips, people. Uh, again, this is a worldwide case now. I'm sure tips are coming in from mm -hmm. abroad. I mean, again, with social media being what it is, yeah. you have content providers that are going out there and actually boots on the ground, and they're retracing the victim's steps. They're going to location. Some of it's wrong what they're doing. The, the families are getting harassed. Yeah. My biggest disappointment is some of the media that have, I, I know at least one of the parents was oh, leaking please. information and he's been cut off from the information flow from you the investigation. Can. I mean, they're grieving, they're trying right. to do things in but the best can. way they, they can, you but at can. the same time. Put a time constraint on these things and you can't, look, in the New York City Police Department, we have what they call DCPI, a Deputy Commissioner of Public Information. And that's our buffer between the department and the press. They don't have that. So their chief or whatever is coming and giving these briefings, they have to keep things close to the vest. They have to. I'm amazed that with all the people involved on the local level, the state level, and the federal level, there hasn't been leaks. That's usually your worst. I mean, we I've had cases where there were leaks to the press, and that, that'll kill you. That'll ruin your investigation. I mean, you have no idea how that could hamper an investigation, a leak. I'm amazed that there haven't been any, to be honest with you. And that's good. When I say leaks, there haven't been any leaks. There's been conjecture, 
And the things that they said at the beginning, they shouldn't have said about that it was a targeted crime, that it wasn't a targeted crime. The community is not in danger, but they are in danger. I mean, those were misinformation. It was said wrong because, again, these people aren't used to speaking to the media, speaking to the press. So they said the wrong things. I mean, the reality of as long as someone is walking the street that did this, the community at large is a danger. Let's face it. That's a fact. And you have to, even if it was a targeted attack against any of the girls or what have you, still, as long as a perpetrator that committed such a huge crime is out there, there's a danger to the community. If he did this to them, he could do something to you. Well, you know, that's just a fact of life. But with that being said, you certain things you can't say. You have to, again, it's like yelling fire in a movie theater. You can't do it. You can't cause public alarm and outrage because that town will empty, you know, and the perpetrator will go with them. See, that's another thing. They, yeah. they, I'm sure they feel that the perpetrator is local, is a local person. I'm sure they've expanded their search realm, but I'm almost willing to say that they believe it's a local, someone local, possibly another student, you know. And again, these things take time. Well, these things take time because you have to build a yeah. case. I'm sure they're looking. Their search is narrowed. I'm sure they're looking at somebody. They might not. That's maybe why they called in more agents to do surveillance. Maybe they're following someone. I mean, again, this is all, look, I'm, I can guess as much as the next guy. My guesses are a little more educated than some others. But again, I'm not a magician. You know, I'm not a clairvoyant. I can't, you know, I can only yeah. go from my past experience and cases that I've worked on and cases that I've seen. And I don't know. I could be wrong. I could be very wrong. This could be a random act. You don't know. This could be, look, a crime of opportunity. Maybe just somebody lost it and saw an opportunity and went after it. But then again, I don't think you would see the rage in that. And I think you would have seen something beforehand. And I think you would definitely have seen something after because they got away with it so far. You know? I mean, remember, the perpetrator, they watch the news. You know, they know what's going on or not going on. Again, for a fact, the perpetrator had to be covered in blood when they left. Yeah. I mean, there has to be some sort of a blood trail somewhere. Now, they're not saying this. There has to be somewhere. And that blood trail had to lead to something. Well, at least there was, because now there's there's the three or four feet of snow out there now. Yeah, so. I, I'm sure that crime scene was done and redone that a number of times. I mean, you can't hold a scene forever. Even in major crimes, major media attention, like in New York City, you, you don't hold a crime scene for 30 days. That's unheard of. But for instance, in the, the Carnegie Deli homicide that I was talking about, we held the scene for a solid week, you know, going back. But again, this is in May of 2001. We didn't have the devices they have now to recreate the entire scene like they do now. Yeah, but you also had a bunch of detectives and people on standby that was that was like I, I told you earlier when you have the resources and manpower you see early in my career as a detective we had a federal program called it was the acronym CAC it was a concerted attack to clear homicide and what happened was we would submit the supervisor the bosses would sit with the detective and you would pick each detective squad would pick and choose one or two cases that they felt had a solvability factor had there been more detectives and resources thrown at the case. And what happened, they would grant this federal money 
And this federal money would allow us to follow every little lead there might have been. And it was overtime, basically overtime money. And again, money wasn't thrown in for forensics because the forensics were gone by this point. You know, whatever was collected at the time was collected. But, and mind you, this is in the 90s. Whatever was collected was collected. But going out and following every little lead that might have been in that case folder, which couldn't be done because, like I told you before, you're dealing with a city with 2,600-plus homicides a year. How much time could you really devote to a specific case? Well, it was a luxury if you got a week to devote solely to that case. Oftentimes, I, my partner and I, we, we might be out in the street on a case. Let's, you know, let's say a shooting on East 112th Street and Park Avenue. And while we were out there, you'd hear gunshots coming from Madison Avenue, the next block over. And we would literally flip a coin. And you'd grab a couple of uniform guys and you'd walk over there. And there'd be another dead guy. Nine out of ten times, that dead guy was the one who committed your first homicide. But now you got to work on that one. You know, that's, that's how crazy it was. And it wasn't unheard of that in your, as detectives, we worked four on, two off. In your set of tours, it wasn't unheard of to work two or three murders in those four-day period. But now you were able to present these cases, and what you would get as a detective, they would give you, let's say you were working a, a four-to-one shift, they'd have you come in at noon. So from noon to four, you would work on that particular homicide. Then if you were working a day shift, eight to four, they would give you four hours at the back. So from four to eight, you would work on the murder. And then they'd give you one of your days off, what they call RDOs, regular days off. You'd come in for eight hours specifically to just work that case. And you would, it was amazing. It was like dominoes, how many cases got solved. Because you were able to follow up. It was all in the folder. It was just a matter of getting it done. You know, you had per persons of interest, suspect, you'd follow up on these suspects. You'd go out and re canvas, talk to people again, hit the street. You'd be surprised, especially in these cases, the smoke had cleared. It was a little period of time. So now people felt it was safe to talk about. And you'd be surprised what we garnered a lot of information. We closed a lot of cases through this program. But like anything else, it dried up. But it was a very lucrative program when it happened. Now, I mean, I remember because the thing with federal money is too, if you don't use it, you lose it. And you would get this like a couple of million dollars, maybe every quarterly. So in that quarter, towards the end of the quarter, if you had 300000 left, you had to go out and do things, you know? There were tasks that had to be done. So you get, so, you know, you re-up the next quarter. So there were times that, it, let's say the person, the subject that you were looking at might have lived at an address nine, ten years prior. They sent a team of detectives to sit on an address for eight hours. Look, is it the possibility that the person could come back? Yeah. Likely, no. But no stone was left unturned. And again, some of the tasks seem mundane. Some of the tasks seem fruitless. But you'd be surprised how many cases got cleared because there were a team of detectives sitting in a location, watching a location, and lo and behold, here comes Johnny. And, you know, cases closed. We were very successful with it. Hey, Scott. Yeah. Listen, man. <laughs> I've held you over for a long time here, so had a great conversation, and I think we'll try to wrap things no up here. Man. It, it, we could keep talking no all day, but yeah, it's been awesome. Hey, and hopefully, you know, we can come back on and talk about how they actually solved that case in Idaho. I believe it will come from yeah. positive. You know, it's not going to be a cold case. Yeah, I do too. Again, they're saying it's cold already. No. A month in, 
is nothing in detective land. It's nothing. You know, they're making it something yeah. because it's such a, a media frenzy. But in the grander things, it's really, it's not. The case is still in infancy, you know? Yeah. Uh, between the media well, and the social media, that, they just don't have adult time frames anymore. It's like now, now, now. We're all guilty of it. Yeah. I mean, just by virtue of the phone, yep. look, by virtue of this podcast. I mean, we're doing something instantaneously. I mean, look, it took me a little while to get on because my computer was acting a little slow and we were frustrated. Yeah. Ten years ago, this wasn't even a thought to do this. You know? I, I mean, <laughs> I was like, exactly. And now I'm yeah. so yeah. part of our daily routine that we expect it to happen instantaneously. And we're all, like I said, we're all yeah. sorry, we're all guilty of it. I mean, those of us, I'm older than you, so those of us who remember the times when we did weren't attached to this lifeline, you know, I mean, I can't even fathom how it was when I was a kid and I was playing in the street, yeah. you know? I mean, what? No telephone? No pager? <laughs> you know, my mother just leaning out the window, calling yeah. me to come up for dinner. Are you kidding? <laughs> I mean, yeah. think about it. We get in our cars now, and if we drive away and we forget that we left the cell phone on our night table, we have a panic attack. <laughs> There's a whole new, you yeah, know. Yeah, turn around and back and go back and I get mean, it. Yeah. Think about it. I recall being a detective when they first gave us pagers. And... We were like, whoa, no, 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 no. Now we have to be accountable. You know, we could be found every minute of the day. You know, it was like, no, no, I don't want this. And what happened? It became the norm, you know? And then the yeah. phone. I don't know what's next. A, a, a chip? <laughs> you know, that's next. You're going to be able to press your neck and then, yeah, I, you know. I, I, ain't doing, <laughs> I ain't doing no chip, man. All right, Scott. Hey, you have a great Christmas and a wonderful holiday. Best yeah, that has been fantastic. You too. All, All right. Bye-bye. Take care. Thanks for joining us. Your attention today brings us one step closer to exposing and eliminating the evil that brings crime to our communities. Hit subscribe and share this episode. Together, we will bring justice to every victim.